You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Good konnichiwa and Merry Christmas, bitches. Welcome to Avocado Cafe. My name is Jason Almi. I host this program. This is the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. Thank you very much for pressing play. Today, we are talking about TV episode 38 entitled Kyosuke Time Trips, The Third Christmas. This episode originally aired December 21st of 1987. It was directed by Suda Yumiko. Suda directed episode Two, which was the Lemony Kiss for Her episode, very important episode. Also, Suda directed episode nine, which was the episode where it was revealed that Komatsu's entire family is inappropriate and total rapists. Suda also directed episode 18, which was the haunted beach with the big wave and, and Ayuko surfing, and hasn't directed an episode since that episode. So, Suda is finally back after 20 episodes off to direct kind of a really fun, kooky episode that really works well. It's very emblematic of this program, in my opinion. This episode was written by Ohashi Yukiyoshi. Most recently, Ohashi directed episode 33 that was the Mushroom of Truth episode. Of course, Orange Road is never a series to waste a decent premise. Hell, they don't even throw away the bad ones. Time slipping was discovered in episode 32, which accidentally gave him a do-over with Ayukawa and Shikaru in that episode. Here, he gets several do-overs until he finally gets the day right in what could actually be viewed as somewhat similar to Groundhog Day, the theme of reliving the same day to experiment with actions until you achieve the correct outcome, the fated outcome. We open the episode with immediate foreshadowing of what's to come. If anything's consistent throughout the show, it's that Kasuga cannot stand. He's bad at standing. He falls off the ladder. He drags the Christmas tree down with him. There's a shot of him beginning to fall and kind of panicking. It's shown three times over, foreshadowing by highlighting the importance of this fall. The fact that he's going to repeat this fall each time he repeats the day. 
Now, apparently, Komatsu and Hata are putting together a big-ass Christmas party all by themselves, I guess. I'm guessing they're charging for the tickets. That's, the spread winds up looking pretty pricey. There's like a whole buffet. Or maybe they're just working for the organizer. But who cares? This story needs a Christmas party. We get a Christmas party this week. It's interesting that Komatsu and Hata greet Kasuga in English. They're celebrating a Western holiday, so it makes sense that they're going to say Merry Christmas in English, but then calling him Mr. Kasuga. I guess they're getting into the spirit of things with a Western holiday and all. Kazuya is a confirmed psychopath in this episode. He whipped the shit out of poor Jingoro. I mean, Jingoro didn't do nothing, man. Kazuya beat the shit out of him for no reason. He was just supposed to be putting on a show. Although I will say, Kasuga comforting poor Jingoro on his shoulder there was pretty cute. But I guess animal abuse is kind of funny to these motherfuckers. Uh, Komatsu is certain that they will get a ton of laughs if Kazuya beats the shit out of Jingoro for the whole crowd as their opening act. We also get to see the return of Hata's balloon. I've mentioned Hata's balloon in previous episodes where it appeared. We haven't seen Hata's balloon as a visual metaphor in quite a while, actually. And it's, of course, a visual symbol of his arousal. In this scene, he's pretending to be a devout Buddhist. His hands are together in prayer in front of his face before he suddenly starts blowing up a balloon that was between his hands, and then he releases it as a symbol of his excitement. He does this even as Komatsu is insisting that Christmas exists for everyone's gratification. Komatsu insists it's not a religious holiday. It's not about observing some faith-based tradition. It's about getting his. It's an opportunity for a sexual encounter. This sets up the couples-only rule for the party. I guess it's like going to an orgy. You can't be a single dude showing up solo at an orgy. That's just good manners. Komatsu and Hata both laugh in unison as they inform Kasuga that he must arrive with a date. And it seems like more than just titillation on their part. They know that Kasuga has a tough decision to make. They seem to be relishing the idea that he has to choose one girl to invite. And Jingoro somehow manages to inflate Hata's balloon until it bursts. So that's also a sign, a visual symbol, if you will, that he's still horned up from episode 29. Now, the gang has school on Christmas Eve. They don't get Christmas Eve off in Japan. It seems natural. Japan's not going to close down for Christmas the way the West does. Even as he's debating who to invite, Kasuga's only picturing Ayukawa. Komatsu and Hata, of course, they invite the twins with promises of a smorgasbord. Komatsu asks Kasuga if he's talked with Shikari yet, while Kasuga imagines a sexualized Ayuko. Well, we get a close-up of her breasts to show us that Kasuga is clearly imagining her in a sexual way, at least a little bit. In his voiceover, he says he's facing a dilemma, but is he really? He's, he's only imagining Ayukawa, and when he sees Ayukawa, he runs up to her. He seems to know exactly what he wants to do. There doesn't really seem to be a dilemma at all, except in the voiceover. Then Shikaru totally blocks him. She almost floats across the screen into his arms. Apparently, Komatsu told her that Kasuga would be inviting her to the party, so she's thrilled, of course. Here, Komatsu and, to a lesser degree, Hata, they're meddling, and it helps move the plot along, of course. There's a purpose for these characters, Komatsu and Hata, as distasteful as they may be. I've mentioned on a few occasions that 
they have a purpose. They serve a purpose to move the plot in certain directions. And here, their function is important, if not completely ridiculous, sure. But but still, they move things in the direction they need to go. Now, Ayukawa feigns disinterest when Shikaru asks her to come with. Shikaru actually suggests that Ayukawa bring a date as well. They could double date or something like that. Of course, Ayukawa is uninterested in anyone other than Kasuga. She doesn't want to watch Kasuga being romantic with Shikaru on Christmas Eve. Apparently, in Japan, Christmas Eve is more of a canoodling holiday. I think here in the West, Christmas is maybe more of a family thing, maybe geared a little bit more towards kids. Yeah, sure, there's plenty of young adults getting drunk on Christmas, but that seems to be more of a New Year's thing. Christmas seems like the family holiday, getting together with grandma for Christmas, that type of thing. Over there, it seems to be more of a holiday to spend with the one you love, the one you want to get freaky with. Now, importantly, Ayukawa lies about having plans with her sister's family. Her sister got married six-ish months ago. Ayukawa seems a little miffled that Kasuga didn't ask her to the Christmas party. She makes it fairly obvious. Of course, she played it off like she had other plans, but the next scene is her tearing up her ticket to the Christmas party and releasing the shards into the wind. It completely undermines her lie. It tells us, as the audience, that she fully intended to go to the party and that she had hoped that Kasuga would invite her. And now that Kasuga is planning on going with Shikaru, she doesn't need the ticket anymore. She can tear it up and let the breeze take it away. She also makes a point to wish Shikaru a good time. She doesn't tell Kasuga to have a nice time. She only tells Shikaru to have a good time. She bounces a mop off of Kasuga's head as well. So she makes it pretty clear to Kasuga that she's nonplussed. Kasuga goes about the rest of his evening after school. Kasuga, apparently, it, it looks like he's wearing the same outfit from his ill-fated date with Ayukawa in episode 25. That was where he'd had himself hypnotized. They go to Disco Mobius. She ends up half-drowning him in the fountain outside in front of everybody. Really embarrassing for him, I'm sure. But he's still dressing like he's about to go use a quill to sign the Declaration of Independence or something like that. His sister's fight over a dress in what seems like merely an excuse to show them in their intimates. But it's setting up some things to do over as Casca relives the day. Spoiler alert, this really is just an excuse to show them using the power in what amounts to their underwear. The conflict of Manami and Kurumi fighting over a dress is meant to reflect the pull that Kasuga supposedly feels between Shikaru and Ayukua. Like the dress is a metaphor for Kasuga and Manami and, and Kurumi are fighting over this thing. It's a limited resource. There's only one of them. They both want it. So it's obviously meant to be this sort of trivialized version of the overarching conflict that Kasuga faces over the course of the entire Orange Road media. And we don't really see much of it again after this. And that's why I say it's just an excuse to kind of show them in their underwear. They're using the power on each other. This isn't even something that Kasuga particularly relives. He never gets this conflict right in the episode. They just kind of forget about it on his third run through. Now, more and more in recent episodes, Yusaku is invading Kasuga's personal space, menacing him very directly rather than concentrating on Shikaru. And I think Yusaku is becoming gradually more aware of his homosexual desire for Kasuga. 
Listen to what Yusaku is saying in this episode. At first blush, he seems upset that Shikaru is going to the party with Kasuga because he wants to go with Shikaru. But pay attention. He he mentions that Christmas and birthdays are big days for lovers. And I think what he's saying, not that he wants to go with Shikaru, but that he's upset that Kasuga is going with Shikaru for Christmas. He wants to spend Christmas with Kasuga as a couple. And I think that's what he's driving at here. He's really focused on Kasuga's decisions and Kasuga's behaviors because he wants Kasuga to choose him. We see more evidence of Kasuga's secret power of dumb luck here as the pizza guy narrowly misses him but winds up nailing Yusaku as Yusaku is right about to pummel Kasuga. So Kasuga narrowly escapes this one, and it's it's just dumb luck, and it's his power working for him, I think, in the background. Interestingly, Shikaru dresses rather boyishly for her date. She has this kind of androgynous style. It's feminine in the stylings and the cut, the way that the, the shoulders are cut in. It looks like a feminine outfit, but she's wearing pants. She's not wearing a dress. Remember, Kasuga earlier envisioned Ayukawa in a white dress. Shikaru's also wearing a, a tuxedo, tails, and a bow tie. So it's feminine, and it's not unlike Marlena Dietrich's costume in the famous scene from the film Morocco. You can just Google Marlena Dietrich, and you'll see a dozen pictures of her in a tuxedo with a top hat, maybe a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. She's got this kind of sultry thing, but it's also a little androgynous. She's also cross-dressing. Shikaru doesn't quite wear it with the confidence or bravado of uh, Marlena Dietrich, though. Of course, this day is filled with events for Kasuga to have to repeat. His sister's fighting over a dress, almost getting his ass kicked by Yusaku, the Obachan asking for directions. It's really not unlike Bill Murray stepping off of the curb and into the puddle over and over and over again. The setup is remarkably similar here, and I think that we can all agree that Groundhog Day is a timeless classic. This episode, of course, predates it by several years. Now, Kazi is showing up to the party with a date, gives us a kind of sense that history is repeating itself here. I think what the filmmakers want to tell us here is that Kazi is in for an experience that's not terribly unlike Kasuga's own adolescence that we're witnessing unfold over these episodes. It's a reminder of the timeless nature of this show. Despite Orange Road being possibly the most 80s thing ever, there's still a timelessness to it. No matter when you were born, you had a springtime of your youth. And I think that's what resonates so well with audiences. It's the reason why this show is so beloved even now. At the party, we get to hear some kind of classical Christmas music, some nice instrumentals. We hear jingle bells being played. And the night seems to be going great. Everybody seems to be having a great time, except Ayukawa is missing. And for some reason, nobody questions why Ayukawa's older sister would be calling for Kasuga. It doesn't really seem normal. Has Kasuga even spoken to Ayukawa's older sister since her wedding some six-ish months earlier? The obvious purpose of the phone call is to tip off Kasuga that Ayukawa was full of shit earlier. They even take the time to show us Kasuga's realization in one of those black border freeze frames with the voiceover. We're treated to some great imagery here of Ayukawa wandering through town, a bit aimlessly, 
uh, but seemingly commiserating. She's avoiding these drunk guys. She's looking through windows. She sees these happy families together enjoying a meal. She even sees this little wind-up decoration of two cherubs kissing. And there's a close-up shot of this. And we see her looking on at this thing. It's, I guess, some kind of Christmas gift that you might give somebody. But it seems to be designed to play up her misery at being left out of this couple's-only holiday. She's standing outside a shop window looking at this decoration of these two cherubs, kind of Cupid-like cherubs kissing. She's literally standing outside looking in. And it paints this visual metaphor for us that she is an outsider to all of this. The TV interviewer that asked her some questions about what she got her boyfriend for Christmas and stuff, he looks a lot like Takashi. And the party is really starting to rock a little bit more as Kasuga returns. I don't know what this is, but I don't think it made it to one of the sound colors, unfortunately. I had to rip this from the episode. And we get an accidental time slip again. Casca's not good at basic things like using stairs. Things that my two-year-old can do. Walk down the stairs without falling and eating shit. Casca can't seem to handle even at 16. And it's here that we get the idea that this episode really does work as a sort of a Groundhog Day prototype. Casca relives the day. And he makes different decisions. And so we as an audience get to enjoy the varying outcomes. What would happen if he did something differently? The first time he goes to the party with Shikaru, but now he's dead set on asking Ayukawa out because he doesn't want her to be alone on Christmas Eve. At the same time, I think this is kind of good for production too because they can reuse a lot of the same assets. A lot of the animation gets recycled. A lot of the voice acting gets recycled because what you're seeing is the same day play out over and over again. So a lot of the same assets get to be reused. Additionally, when they play out these various scenarios, it serves as a kind of reinforcement for the triangle. It previews the hurt that each girl feels when she's left out of the party. The episode winds up reinforcing why Koska sort of strings along both girls. It sort of gives you the idea that maybe it's not him being selfish and it's not him being wishy-washy. It's not him being a weak of character, but that he doesn't want either girl to be hurt. And he knows what kind of hurt awaits these girls. He got to experience it and then redo it and, and take it back. But that he's somehow trying to preserve their feelings. It almost makes his wishy-washiness, his indecision, it almost makes it seem altruistic in this episode. Now, when Kasuga formally asks slash begs Ayukawa to be his date for the party, I never really understood that level of formality, but it seems like something that Ayukawa needed. She's moved by the strength of his request, I guess. It, maybe it's based on the formality but also he's demonstrating that it's something he really wants. He doesn't give up. Like in episode eight, the shutter chance at the beach episode, he makes this huge fuss and he gets Ayukawa to return to the photo shoot and, and take some shots. And she acquiesces to him. I don't understand why she makes him beg here though. I mean, we already saw that she had a ticket to the party. There's a ticket to the party in her pocket right now, even as he's asking her to be his date. She was clearly hoping that Kasuga would invite her. 
Also, I enjoyed that she mentions that she had a dream, that she spent Christmas Eve alone. It's as if she has some primal memory of Casca's previous attempt at the day. Casca obviously remembers his previous attempt. He's living through this day as if it's the next day in his life. So he's, he's reliving the day, but he's got memories of living the day the first time as if it was yesterday. Ayukua, of course, doesn't remember that day because it got reset, but it's almost like there's this little bit of like deja vu or something sticking around in her brain because she had this dream. Now, Kasuko also tries to get things right with Yusaku. He rescues Yusaku from being run over by the pizza guy, and here Yusaku realizes his true love is Kasuga after all. Yusaku's f***ing eyes are sparkling as he gazes at Kasuga. Now, Yusaku still winds up getting clobbered by some accident. Kasuga didn't wind up saving him after all, but as with Groundhog Day, this episode seems to be indicating that there are some things that are just fate. There's no changing them. Like the homeless guy who winds up dying, despite all of Bill Murray's efforts in Groundhog Day. A million times he tries to save the guy. Nothing he tries works. It's just the guy's time to go. And this episode seems to be following kind of a similar premise. There's some kind of fate here. Yusaku is destined to be injured on this day, and Kasuka trying to prevent it really only means that it occurs in some other fashion. It's kind of cool that Orange Road got here first. IDK, WTF, Kasuga, and Ayukawa were expecting from Shikaru as they showed up at this party publicly as a couple. They're like all canoodling as they walk up the steps, and this time Kasuga loses both girls. Shikaru feels betrayed, and then having betrayed her best friend, Ayukawa feels too guilty, apparently, to continue with the date. She runs off. They both run off. It's interesting here that Shikaru says that she had dreamed of having fun at the party with Kasuga, because again, that's like a lingering memory. It's some kind of deja vu of the day that got erased from the timeline. So Kasuga reboots the day. Ushiko and Umao love Christmas more than Jesus. They dressed up as freaking Christmas ornaments and made love on top of a giant Christmas tree. Also, they're the ones who get to take out Yusaku one last time in this episode. I thought it was interesting that the old lady seemed to have some kind of awareness of the time slips too. She doesn't know what day it is, but she seems to have this intuition about their previous encounters, kind of like Ayukua and Shikaru had these dreams about something that had happened, but it it was almost like a lingering memory. Or maybe the old lady's just batshit loco. Who knows? So Kasuka apparently resolves things by bringing both girls as his date. So he shows up as a total pimp. He's got a girl on each arm. And honestly, it doesn't seem that different from the first pass. The first pass, Shikaru asked Ayukawa to accompany them. She felt like the third wheel. She didn't want to do it. So she spends Christmas boohooing on the sidewalk watching uh, little animated decorations make out. But this time around, maybe Kasuga was the one who finagled it. He asked Ayukawa to join him and Shikaru rather than it being Shikaru trying to include her out of pity. So maybe Kasuga talked her into it. He sweet-talked her. You know Ayukawa can't say no to Kasuga anyway, especially when he gets down on, on his hands and knees and begs, makes it formal. The resolution does seem to jive with my theory that it isn't really just Kasuga perpetuating this love triangle 
as much as it is the girls. They have an influence on this too. This episode seems to indicate that things are better with them as a trio. The the correct resolution to the conflict of this episode was for him to acknowledge both girls and to bring both girls as his date instead of choosing one or the other. Because it went wrong with either girl. If he chose Shikaru, then Ayuka was left out and Kasuga felt horrible. If he chose Ayukawa, then, of course, Shikaru was brokenhearted and Ayukawa couldn't handle it either. So Kasuga learned that really the only way to, to successfully navigate the situation was to acknowledge his relationship with both women and show up with both as his date. This almost doesn't seem like it's just Kasuga trying to benefit from both relationships. Sometimes it does seem that way, especially in the manga. It seems like Kasuga's just trying to work things to his advantage and uh, to to go out with Ayuko when it's convenient and go out with Shikaru when it's convenient and kind of keep them both strung along. And it feels like he's being kind of an asshole. But this episode really, it, it shakes that a little bit for me, at least with the anime, because it seems like they really do want to tell us that that for the majority of these episodes, it's really about the trio, and there's a dynamic with the three of them, and they, they all need to be involved. Oji-san and Oba-san make a pretty incredible appearance, and they f*** it all up for Kasuga. Grandma was dressed up like Santa, too, instead of Mrs. Claus. Like, Oba-san was, was wearing the fake beard. That's a pretty formidable display of the power by Oji-san and Oba-san, uh, perhaps the power gets stronger with age. I like to think that. Maybe as you get older, you get better at using the power. You know, your muscles might get weaker, but your psychic abilities get stronger and stronger. Now, Casca literally gets run over by a reindeer here, too. Sets him back to repeat the day again by accident. The song, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, was about eight years old at the time of this episode. So while it predates this episode by long enough for them to be aware of it, I can't imagine that this is an actual reference to that song. But it could work, right? Kasuga literally gets run over by a reindeer and has to repeat the day after finally getting it right. And that's kind of the comedy. Of course, this episode exposes some inconsistencies with the time slip mechanic. I've always liked the idea that the the time travel is accidental, and they call it time slipping. They don't call it time traveling. It's not an intentional thing that he does. He just, I don't know, if you bump his head hard enough, he'll go back a day or two. In episode 32, we first see time slipping when Kasuga travels to the past. And of course, when he gets there, there's a younger version of himself already there. Makes sense. Much like in Back to the Future 2, Marty travels back to 1955 again. There's already another version of him there that's enacting the events that we saw in part one of Back to the Future. Here, Kazuga is simply resetting the day. He's living the day over and over again, just like we see in Groundhog Day. So each time he returns to the past to relive the day, there's not another version of Kasuga there, unlike in episode 32. There's no real explanation for why the time slip mechanic is different in 32 than it is here, other than that's how it has to work for the narrative to function the way that they want it to. Why couldn't he just restart his birthday? Or why isn't there a past Kasuga to encounter now that the now Kasuga goes into the past in in this episode. Who knows? I'll tell you who doesn't care, and that is Terada Kenji. 
Also, there's no mechanic for initiating the time slip. And it is one of the reasons I love it, as I mentioned. There's not a machine with dials or, or lights blinking or something like that. You can set the date, hit a button, and willfully time travel to a precise date and time, time-space location. I like the idea that this is an imprecise thing, that you're rolling the dice with attempting to time slip because who knows where you could wind up? Who knows if it'll even work? You could throw yourself down the stairs 10 times and just wind up with CTE and not even travel in time. But I got to wonder why doesn't he time travel that morning when he fell off the ladder? When he falls off the ladder the first time, he doesn't time slip. He just gets up pissed off. And each time he time slips throughout this episode, he returns to that moment of bonking his head on the floor. I don't know if that's it's like dropping a pin in your Maps app? I don't know. I guess it is kind of. It's like he falls off the, the tree. He bonks his head. That's him dropping his pin in his map app so you don't forget where you parked your uh, car at the airport. Bada bing, bada boom. Every time he time slips, it's just going to go right back to that pin that he dropped in that moment in time. Kind of a neat way to look at it. But also, what determines the moment in the past that he arrives in? It's seemingly random, but it also seems meaningful. I think I joked on a previous episode, like, what if you time slipped and like wound up in the year 1 million BC? You could be eaten by some giant creature. You could find yourself in some inhospitable terrain where the climate is off by degrees and the atmosphere is filled with carbon dioxide and there's not enough oxygen for you to breathe and you just die. I mean... It seems, of course, meaningful that he gets to relive this day. But there's no reveal of some supernatural power or some cosmic entity that ensures that he gets this day right. It really just seems to be kind of random, but also meaningful. So it's a really, really interesting mechanic, I think. And this episode does a good job by building onto it, even if it's inconsistent with our previous use of the power. Ultimately, the power works however it needs to work for them to tell the story that they want to tell. And ultimately, I would love for you to visit patreon.com slash Become a patron of Team Almy Studios. We bring you fine podcasts such as this one. All of our patrons will get something in the mail from me, some free merch. I will send it to you. I don't care if you live on the moon. I will send it to you. I'll make sure you get something from us to say thank you for joining the patron. You'll also get access to bonus content. We're going to be putting up all sort of bonus content. I'm really looking forward to the month of January because I'm going to be a little bit more free in terms of my schedule. My, my grad school will not be happening in January, so I will be able to really throw myself into this project a little bit more, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to love you if you sign up for our Patreon. Also, please check out Creatures of the Night podcast because you need more than just Abakambu to listen to every week. Creatures of the Night podcast is not about anime at all actually but it's a kooky kind of paranormal ghosts aliens a dmt smoking mescaline on a beach and running around uh in new jersey it's it's crazy it's wild but it's entertaining i promise and it's not political so we're not going to try to get you to vote for a certain candidate or whatever we're just crazy assholes i'll put a link to that up in the show notes and i also want to say thank you 
very much to all of my patrons, and thank you for listening to this episode. I'm going to see you guys next week, even though Orange Road took a week off. I'm not. I'm going to see you guys next week with a bonus episode for the OVA White Lovers. Because this is the perfect time of year for a weird ghost story skiing in the slopes episode. When else am I going to do that episode? So I'll be back next week and I will see you guys then. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Um.